This is the Rotary and Community Service Radio Show, featuring interviews with people of action. So continue listening to be educated and inspired. You can catch us live every Friday night between 6 to 8pm on 3WBC 94.1 FM. the Rotary and Community Radio Show live on 3WBC 94.1 FM. And it's my great pleasure to be talking to Rana Ibrahimi from Rotary Central Melbourne. Welcome to the program, Rana. Good morning and thank you. It is so awesome to be speaking with you. I've been, as you know, wanting to chat with you for a long time now. You've become highly recommended, I'll say, from Alan Driver, who who told me at a wedding that I had to absolutely um, interview you. So it's just wonderful, like I said, to be speaking. Thank you. It's really nice, Papa. <laughs> um, I was wondering, Rani, you've um, you've been in, in Australia for not that for not that long, but I was wondering if you could just give us a very brief overview about I guess where you've come from and and how you ended up at Rotary Central Melbourne. Okay, so then I actually I came to Australia 13 months ago, I think, and I'm from originally from Iran. I think you can hear it from my accent, and uh, or in the other world, I'm Persian. I came to Australia and specifically to Melbourne. I love the idea to have an opportunity as a migrant to live in another country and have a uh, um, more equal environment to work in as a young woman and uh, my background is uh, humanitarian field and I've worked for United Nations for 67 years uh, then I had the same idea the humanitarian behavior and attitude so uh, then I was participating in different meetup groups to meet people and do networking uh, while I was here, I heard about the Rotary. I got interested, I searched the web and found about Rotary and how they work and uh, what is their role. And um, I checked to find the closest club to myself. I Then uh, on that time, I was living in the city in CDD and I found uh, Melbourne Central Club. So I contacted them through an email and got a reply really quickly. I think John, uh, no, sorry, George uh, was the person who contacted me. I met him the day after that, had a coffee, and he told me, just come to the meeting on Tuesday morning and you will see yourself. I went there and I loved it because I was thinking, they are the people I want to get the culture from to know Australia and Melbourne better too. And and they were these nice humanitarian people who are quiet about their job and they don't talk about what they do, but they have these amazing meetings every Tuesday and I was actively participating then and I became a member quickly actually. We're, we're trying to we're trying to change the fact that we 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 don't talk enough or or talk loudly enough about what it is that we do. <laughs> but, but you're right. 
you're yeah. right. That's a comment that many people make about Rotary, that they just don't realise what it is that we do, but like that. We are changing it, trying. And so you mentioned then that you had worked for about six to seven years in the UN. I'm really interested to learn more about that. Uh, okay. Yes, I work as a head of office for United Nations Refugee Agency, UNHCR, in Iran. And in that capacity, actually, I oversaw management of programs in health, protection, education, and livelihood. Um, that was involved the 12 staff members and we were ensuring the welfare of 120,000 um, Afghan and Iraq refugees. Uh, we have done lots of different projects and when I was talking about finding a more equal uh, environment actually I meant about the being a young woman head of office. I was the only female head of office actually. And wow. Um, talking to governmental people, high-level governmental, like government, governor general, and convincing him to do something for refugees, it was really hard. But uh, with the support from my colleagues and actually United Nations, maybe in general, I I was successful. I'm not saying that I was not successful. I could get that, but this feeling that I have to work twice as a woman and uh, fight for everything and be loud and to speak out was really frustrating some, sometimes. So we had great projects. It was amazing. We did some projects like um, for the first time in the region, I think in Asia and Pacific, it was the first time that we had a microfinance uh, project. We were giving loans to refugees specifically female heads of household, that is women who doesn't have a male support over 18. And they were the women, um, specifically Afghan women, who had children who couldn't go out of the house because uh, to work because they had these young children, they had to take care of their family. Uh, sometimes they had the um, old parents with them, and it was really hard for them to gain a livelihood for their family. So we gave these loans to these ladies and they did amazing job. The, one of them was like, for example, um, um, she was uh, living carpet. She had the opportunity, she was working with, for the other people. She was renting everything and living carpet on, uh, for people and she was getting a little money. When we gave her the loan, she bought all the items and she established the work and she did it in nine months. It was amazing. She got the help from her neighbor girls and her daughters. They, five of them or six of them, worked on this carpet, finished it on in nine months, and they got twice of the money that we gave them. And amazing. The success of the this microfinance uh, project was that for the first time, somehow in the world, the refugee gave 100% of the loan back. Usually when, uh, especially when the money is from UNHCR, refugees are not able or are not, um, you know, they, they don't like to give all the money back. It's because it's a loan, they want to get it as a, um, 
like a gift or a donation. They think it's a donation. But in fact, these microfinance projects are just to empower people, and we want to have equal and equitable behavior. So they need to integrate better. They need to understand that they are not just refugees. They are citizens, and the bank will behave like a citizen to them like other Iranians, for example. And it was it was um, shown in that project that they have the feeling of belonging. They understand the equality of the behavior and attitude, and uh, they respected the loan that we gave them, and they gave it back to help the others. And actually, we did not get back the money to keep it for ourselves. It was like a rotating money. We were giving it to others. And it was it was a really good um, example of of what UNHCR is doing and what we have done in Isfahan in Iran because uh, because governmental people were supportive to us. We had hard negotiations with them, but I think I was successful to get their attention, and uh, I had that's a couple certainly of successful. Well. Yeah, yeah well, that's certainly you have you have to have a motivation, a passion to vote for people and. Um, get the stress for yourself, but at the same time, you know so many things about the world, and you have a big communication with a vast communication with different offices around the world. When I got here and I joined Rotary, I really loved what I have seen the same vision about the same goal that Rotarians have. Voluntarily, actually, they don't get any money to be a Rotary member. Actually, they give money, and it's amazing. They are doing the same thing really quietly. And actually, when I got here through some workshops, like the leadership workshop of uh, Rotary, I realized that uh, Rotarians had a big contribution to the uh, United Nations Charter, and uh, I was so surprised and amazed. And I was thinking, oh, I got to the root. I know what happened. And I tried to broadcast that to my colleagues and everyone in Iran and in the other countries that, uh, that I know. But I realized, unfortunately, that so many people don't know uh, what was the role of Rotary in the United Nations and in decision-making level. That's interesting. Really interesting you say that. You're not the, you're not the first person I've met that, that's made that comment, obviously, there's um, some opportunity there for, for Rotary to do better, uh, you know, more enhanced, I guess, engagement with the with the UN because it is a great it is a great story about how we helped with that initial um, UN charter. Yes, it's like you've come it's like you've come full circle then really come into Rotary. Your <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. role exactly. I get real better now. <laughs> So now that, can you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing now that you sort of moved to Australia? Yes, of course. I I was lucky and fortunate, and I, I, I'm really happy. Um, it was a big move for me. I came, and in the beginning I was relaxed. I knew that I should give some time to myself as a migrant to fit in and get to know everything and then start to apply and I had a huge support from um, our club, 
because they were supporting me to teach me and tell me how to apply, how to make their resume, and how to do interviews. And it is amazing. It, you will receive specific support from different people inside your club that you don't even think that you can get this support anywhere or even inside the Rotary when you are a member. But it's like a big family for me. They, they were like family members to me. So I was relaxed. I was not that worried. I knew that I, with this help and with this understanding, I can get something. And I was really lucky because um, after a few months, I got in the Senate and in the Parliament to the Greens uh, Party. I worked as a multicultural policy advisor in the office of Richard Dinatali, the leader of the Greens. And I went to Canberra to the Senate and I seen so many things there, different things. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, through that job, I was communicating and negotiating with governmental uh, authorities or non-governmental people, um, and I worked in the Senate Select Committee on Strengthening Multiculturalism. Mm, because of that, I became interested in um, trading my knowledge on cultural intelligence, and later on, I got the current role that I have in uh, Melbourne City Mission, which is one of, I think it is the oldest um, non-governmental organization in Melbourne City. Um, I'm working as, uh, in a social enterprise under umbrella of NCM, which is CQ Cultural Consulting, and I'm doing, uh, I'm conducting applied research pieces and I'm providing content and consulting organizations, specifically government, mostly actually, uh, about cultural intelligence. Interesting. And so what, um, what does that involve? Can you take us through that a little bit? Yeah, of course. Um, cultural intelligence actually is a new buzzword after IQ and EQ um, since I think 2003 in U.S. they did this research and uh, it was established there. Then uh, it had uh, fast growth and Australia specifically is interested in this because Australia is one of the most multicultural um, countries around the world. And Victoria and Melbourne are really active in creating a diversity and inclusion in uh, at workplaces and uh, have an enhanced cultural intelligence um, in their environment and in their um, state and, and government and non-governmental organizations. So uh, basically I do consultancy for organizations to tell them how to have a more diversity and inclusion strategies and behavior and to train them and facilitate like cross-cultural communication or um, even sometimes conflict management in cultural settings. And uh, the, last, the latest work that I had uh, was Victoria Police that I did a evaluation of their strategy which was which went really well and we finalized it and I also worked with the Scanlon Foundation on an applied research piece 
for HR people. And uh, the other work that I have in hand is this tools that we are uh, developing a highly customized cultural intelligence training package for, I think, over 200 off-record executives and leaders. Amazing. Yes. So what's, can I ask, and I know this is probably actually a very long answer, <laughs> but yes. um, is there is there any sort of, I guess, um, key, you know, one or two key considerations for organisations who are wanting to increase their, their CQ? So what, kind of, what are some things that people can, can start to think of in being more inclusive and diverse in their workplaces? Actually, it's a really good question, but <laughs> if you take me one session of consulting to answer you... I knew you uh, were going to say that. Well, I guess then, what have you seen work really well then? Okay. Um, to be honest, Victoria and Melbourne specifically is really respecting and there is a really um, fast growth in uh, disrespect and in cultural intelligence and awareness and advocacy of uh, diversity and inclusion. There are rules and regulations there and organizations are respecting these rules and regulations and because the nature of the multicultural community that we have, we have a really diverse community. You can see people with different faces, different colors every day when you're going to work in the streets. And this is the Melbourne and Victoria and Australia, the multicultural country. So in order to put everybody together, to be um, inclusive, to respect this diversity, you need to have a diversity and inclusion strategy, to have an action plan, and you need to consider this through all the activities and that an organization is doing, from employment to education and different parts. So everybody are doing this, everybody are active to have better diversity and inclusion and to have a better understanding of cultural intelligence. Cultural intelligence, in fact, is it's not like emotional uh, intelligence or IQ um, in one aspect. The, that emotional intelligence is the understanding and reflect, reflecting to human behavior, but the difference is cultural intelligence is understanding and reflecting to human behavior in different cultural settings. So you need to understand your own culture first, then try to understand the similarities and differences with other cultures, and then you can um, establish a good uh, communication style to have uh, with different cultures. This is basically what cultural intelligence is doing. And it is um, possible to enhance it, to develop it, and leverage it. So um, it's good to have a training for that. Perfect. Can I, can I shift the focus now to your, to, I guess, your role in Rotary? And, and I'm really curious to know from your perspective what role you think Rotary can play in supporting refugees? Uh, this is, again, another good question, actually, yes. Um, when I joined the Rotary, I, um, I 
Saudis and I always told everybody that, oh my God, we are doing so many different things. We have a hand in everything, but we are so quiet and so away from the mainstream that it's not showing what Rotary is doing. Because of that, I always um, I was I always call them the quiet and silent Rotary uh, humanitarian. But actually, Rotary has um, activities and is active in the refugee um, support and protection field. They do amazing jobs. Like our club is doing something with uh, I think um, some different organization. It is indirect. So we support these organizations and these um, charities or these non-for-profits that are protecting and supporting the settlement of the refugees. Um, this is the already active part, but the part that I, I really like to see is that refugees have, they are humans, they have their own lives in their country, in a situation in different circumstances like war. They have to flee from their country. They come to Australia, but what they see here is not establishing a new life quickly. They have to go through a huge amount of things, different things, because it's really a different setting for them. Some of them, however, they are educated, they know English, they are ready to contribute quickly to the country. Like we have uh, some doctors, some physicians, some engineers that um, can help and can contribute to the community. These people, unfortunately, don't know how to contribute and what are the avenues. Rotary is one of the best places that can invite refugees and migrants with special skills and use their skills to help the others, the other refugees and the other people. So if we have um, some advocacy for that, or if we can introduce Rotary to these people, yeah. I think we can um, get lots of benefits from that. So what's, what, what do you recommend then as a way for, what's a good way for Rotary to tap into this, this network of immigrants and to, to start like you said, utilizing the special skills that they do have? I think we need more, um, we need to show ourselves more to the world. <laughs> this is in simple words. We need more information to flow around in social media, especially. This is the era of the information and, and technology. We need to use this technology to introduce ourselves to the world, to the people. Are there any um, are there any particular networks that that are currently existing in Melbourne that would be good for Rotary to start a conversation with? Hmm, uh, there are some people are active in different places, but uh, as a migrant when I arrived, I I was active to establish my network, so I I did lots of networking, and. I can see that Rotary is active on these uh, networking areas as well. Like uh, LinkedIn is a good place. Everybody know, around the world knows LinkedIn, Facebook, and 
um, Instagram. And I think we are active in these things, but maybe we should be more active. Maybe we should tell people, not just reporting people, just tell them that you can come and join us. And uh, I think the first thing that I got here, I joined Meetup and Internations. Internations is a German organization, and they have um, clubs around the world, and they're all expats. They are not locals. So if we can join them, if we can communicate with them, we can get the expats inside the local community that we have in Rotary. And probably more, I guess, targeted message to, um, yes. you know, particularly to immigrants and, and letting them know that exactly. exactly like you said, that this is a perfect avenue for their skills. That's really interesting. Yeah. Definitely and something can, to consider exploring. Exactly. And it can change the face of the Rotary because sometimes you can hear as a Rotary and you know yourself that sometimes people get surprised and as a young woman I say, I'm a Rotarian. Yep. Well, we need more people like you find <laughs> 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 Yes. Definitely. Now, you mentioned before that that you, that Rotary, particularly Melbourne Central, was, was like family to you. And I that's the sentiment that you shared with, a, with, I guess, a lot of people that think that. You shared with me a really lovely story at a breakfast recently that involves one of my favourite Rotarians, past District Governor Neville John. Yes. Do you remember what that story was? <laughs> I'm putting I you on the spot. I don't remember, but I have, some, I have different stories with Neville, I can tell you. <laughs> oh, let's explore that. <laughs> um, He's amazing. He is amazing. So why about your wedding? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, this is actually the example of telling you how Rotary is my family. Um, okay, I got married in Australia um, exactly three months ago. And Congratulations. Okay. Bye -bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was interesting. Uh, I got to know this amazing man. He's Polish, and he was in Australia for 20-something years. We met, we decided to marry, and uh, then through this um, process of getting married, I was in touch because I don't have my family here, I'm alone, and uh, Peter, my husband, is the same. So we decided to have a wedding and invite our close friends. Um, I invited a part of Rotary. Unfortunately, I couldn't invite everybody, but I invited uh, my mentor, David Jones, and uh, our uh, district uh, president, uh, Frank O'Brien, and, of course, Neville, who is one of my closest people in Rotary. And I contacted Neville. I told him can you dance with me as my father? A uh, replacement of my father, I want you to um, take this responsibility. And he said, I will be honored and I will be happy to do that. So he played the role of my father in my wedding and I had the father and daughter dance with him, which was amazing. I, it was a great memory that I never forget even. It was so nice. 
Yeah, I dedicated this to my father. <laughs> he should dance on uh, behalf of himself <laughs> later on in Iran. And uh, yes, he That's gave my yeah exactly. He gave my hand to Peter then. Oh, how beautiful! See, exactly. Grocery is family. It is. Can I ask you one final question? This has been an absolutely a fascinating conversation. I've really enjoyed it, and I've learned quite a lot from it. I have to say. But I've got one, like I said, one final question. If you could have one giant billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say? Hmm, I I asked myself so many times. That's what I want to do with this, but uh, you know, uh, I've heard it somewhere from our um, billboards. Actually, we have some uh, nice. Uh, pages that we can share and I think this somewhere that I love and I always say that the world needs more uh, more Rotarian. I believe it genuinely and I think it should be everywhere to show people who are the Rotarians and of course the world needs more Rotarians. Love it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Rana, for joining us on the Rotary and Community Radio Show. Um, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. I'm so glad that Alan Driver recommended that we get in touch. Um, and, yeah, I, I trust that um, many of the listeners will have found this just as interesting as what I have. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's such a great honour. I really loved it, and uh, I've... I'm actually uh, the most honest person to have this interview and to have the opportunity to give my story to people. Well, this is all about us not being silent and sharing our stories, so you've done it so well. True. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thanks for that, Rana. Thank you. Have a lovely day.